I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, and welcome to Going Off Track. Assalamu alaikum. <laughs> what did you say? Assalamu alaikum. Oh. The voice you heard was Stephen and Brad. At the same time. At the same time. Saying no, different things correct. in different languages. Yes. I don't know what ear hole that's coming through, but I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Today on Going Off Track, our guest is Brian Keith Diaz, um, who you may know as a member of the reunion show in Edna's Goldfish who is now a full-time tech and has worked with Fallout Boy, Anthrax, so many bands. Uh, Did he work with Prince and Guns N' Roses? Guns N' Roses, oh yeah. Guns N' Roses was a big one. Um, Motion City, a lot of bands. And he recently wrote a book about those experiences called A Thousand Miles to Nowhere. That you can purchase right now. That you can purchase. We'll have a link on our site to get Brian's book. And it's a memoir of... uh, his crazy adventures, which I would imagine touring with Guns N' Roses would give you a lot of. I think it's funny that a lot of the bands that you think would be the craziest turns out aren't. Mm-hmm. Like, didn't a uh, friend of ours, Brad, said that Tommy Stinson told him that, yeah, I'm in Guns N' Roses and their placements, and you won't believe who uh, yeah. the bigger freak is. Yeah, and <laughs> a lot of my friends, yeah, I feel like a lot of my friends who are in bands that seem pretty tame... You go on tour with them, and you're like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like, these dudes really know how to rage. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it is interesting. You never know. You never know. You never know. But Brad, Brad when's your book coming out? Yeah. <laughs> Brad's book is never coming out. When my out. children become teenagers and don't talk to me anymore, and then I have time to write it. And you're not going to remember anything. I know. I, mean, we know. I know. I should take notes. Start writing it down now. Or start writing it down 10 years I do, ago. I did. I was smart enough, although I missed some of the best years, but I, I kept a journal kind of during some of the heyday of some of these stories that you've heard parts of are actually accurately portrayed in my journal. I can go back for reference. Jonah, do you keep a journal when you go on tour? No, I don't. I keep should. a journal. If you're in a band, even if you're not in a band, dude, it's so it's helpful just from a reference point of view. Like, yeah. I mean, when I was in the, you know, I started keeping it. I mean, I had it for a lot of the touring and I'd go, it'd be good to go back and just reference like where you played and what city, you know, like it was just good for actually for business reasons. You know, what's crazy is my band, my old band, the love kill has a website that's still active. We broke up in like 2006, but there's a tour section. And for some reason 
we listed we just when we got new shows we listed it we never deleted any so there is literally a list of every show we've ever played which is i don't know like maybe like 60 or 70 shows um europe here went to europe twice but it's so crazy because i'll be talking to someone i'll be like oh is this place and they're like oh yeah i played in bloomington whatever and they're like oh like where i'm like hold on and i'll go to the site and be like this place and they'll be like no way like and it was us with like some band that it like the gaslight anthem or something and it's like i totally forget about it but it's like a really cool reference to have oh yeah definitely jim henson had a, a journal and I, I just finished the biography of him is it good the biography is amazing. Yeah. And they talk about, they give him access, the writer to the journal, the biographer. And sometimes the journal is just one sentence. It'll be like, met with Disney. Yeah. <laughs> but he'll have a like underlined, but like that's like this huge thing. Yeah. So even if it's just a few words, it's no, good. For real. Even if you're just yeah. meeting with an obscure company like Disney. Are, are you guys familiar with method, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, method of, of loci, method of loci, loci? Not I. Nope. It is for those of you Sherlock fans out there. Um, he has a there's a, a lot. One of the last episodes, he talks about his mind palace. In fact, backstage at our wonderful live show that we did, Janine Garofalo and I, made it, she was like the memory palace. We were talking about Sherlock, and it's actually a real thing of people who remember everything, and it's a way of <clears throat> uh, recording like in your head locations by in your brain. I'm ruining this, but like. Say you have a house in your head and in different rooms of the house, you remember certain things and they're like memory competitions of people who remember numbers and digits. And there's a guy who's committed 600 digits of pi to memory that he can do in order and go because of this certain memory technique. Oh, I, yeah. Committing some, like you're talking about committing like a physical sort of space to a memory. Yeah. It's like you're, you're these people, you've found yeah, a way to unlock this. parts of your brain. Right. To remember things, which I'm fascinated. I remembered just that. And what room was that in? What I color was, was it? What was the I was, curtains? I was sitting like? in the car, bored, waiting to pick up my wife from the train, learning about memory, ignoring my children. That's what I was... No, I'm sorry. They were listening to the Frozen soundtrack, which oh I don't know gosh. if you are familiar... <laughs> Brad, perhaps you are. I know somebody that knows every word. Yes. Every song. I'm so glad I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> you should. You I should hope, be thrilled I hope at I this. I never do. We watch it daily. <laughs> watch it every day, and then we listen to it a number of times. We don't even have the DVD, and she somehow knows it. They, I think they they corrupt each other at school. Uh, I uh, app, Disney released it on iTunes while it was still in the theater, mm. and Trish went, might as well just download it. And I did. Showed it to the girls every day. The snowman? <laughs> ah, youth. Boy, we are so far off track. I don't know who today's guest is. Brian Diaz. Brian yeah. Diaz. Brian Diaz. Tech to the stars. And I can only imagine what it must be like to be on tour like a younger band and then go back and tour with the game when they're a little older like Fall Out Boy. Yeah. And see the changes. Brian's been around for a long time, so let's let him take us away. Today on Going Off Track, our guest is Brian Diaz. Hello. Who you may know from the reunion show. Reunion show, maybe. Edna's Goldfish. Possibly. Um, or his work with teching for Fall Out Boy. And um, uh, literally, I've, I've probably, if you have a guitar, I've probably it's true. worked on it or What other? Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses. Who else? Anthrax, Primus, Sum 41. Um, I did a couple things with 
plain white tees. Remember those? Guys? I do. I do. <laughs> Everyone remembers. I remember them. Eileen mostly. Mostly Eileen <laughs> yeah. remembers them. Um, yeah, did that. I'm been doing this for so long, so very long. Yeah, <laughs> just it just feels like forever. You're like, you're like, where did the time go? You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you just wrote a book, and I just wrote a book, and I'll, and you know, a lot of people f- were pressing me to do this. They're like, you have all these stories from all these years of touring and uh i was like no i no i don't like just like just start writing things down here and there you know and after a while i was like man i kind of do have i kind of have all these stories and i thought this book was going to be more like the fly on the wall like hey uh you know this happened here and this happened there and it it ended up being more about me in these situations with the framework of that so that's kind of what the book is I've never written a book, so I don't really know how to. I know you've done it, so you're probably like... I have not done it. I thought you did. I no. thought you... Only you, in my, like, ambitious fantasies. <laughs> you've written enough. I've written to, some To stuff. put together a book. That's kind of what this was, though. This wasn't, like... But I think... I didn't sit down and go, all right, I'm going to get from point A to point B with this thing. I just sort of was rambling. But I think the act of, like, sitting down and doing that is one of the hardest parts, right? It is so hard, and I would not recommend it to anybody. <laughs> did you have a... A, a discipline that well you know it, i didn't really i my my history with writing was that i would t- i would tour i'd be in a van and i had these marble composition notebooks and i just you know kept a journal like right. that's what we did in the 90s and yeah. what you know we didn't have i didn't have a computer i didn't have a laptop i was sitting down and recording everything that happened and i went back years later i still have them i, I still carry them around and i was sitting at home with my girlfriend and she was like looking at these things and just like, you have all these stories in here. Why don't you like, why don't you blog them or something? So I ended up blogging them and I have a friend, uh, Chris Gutierrez in who does dead stop publishing in Chicago. And he, I, I just sent him stuff. I'm like, what do, what do I do with this? I'm like, should I, should I try to like write a book? And he's like, dude, these stories are great. He's like, why don't he's like, I'll, I'll put it out. And I have no, I, I didn't have enough to I didn't have enough put together to actually I didn't think to actually do a book so I kept on writing and writing and there was no yeah yeah <laughs> just, just some filler you know <laughs> but I, I didn't have um I didn't have a discipline I didn't have um like a two regiment. hours every morning it wasn't like I woke up and I'm like I have to write right my girl would tell she she'd tell me like you have to write today and I'm like I don't want to write today I don't yeah. want to I don't want to do that I can't for, I couldn't force it out of myself you know. And it took me a, a while, and there were gaps of time when I didn't write anything at all. And Chris would hit me up, be like, "Hey, how's the book coming along?" I'm like, "It's great. <laughs> like, just, it's it's going great." Meanwhile, I'm like, "He's like, you know, you send me something tomorrow," and I'm like, out at the bar, right. you know, like, "Oh, great." It's like having homework, like being back in high oh, school. Yeah, it, sometimes it felt that's what it felt like, and it, it was different than a creative process that I was familiar with from being in a band. And, you know, being in studios with bands and all just, it was totally different. Yeah. And I, I never thought of myself as a writer. I never thought of myself as someone who, like, anybody would be interested in what I was writing. And then, so I started putting these things on blogs and, you know, you get some likes and some re-blogs and you're like, oh, I'm like, people actually think it's kind of cool. And they, like, write me and ask about it. So I'm like, wait, maybe I, maybe I am a writer. 
Well, it, you know, it's easier to be when you're writing from your own, uh, with your own voice, like your own point of view, like what you, you, you kind of like took your journal and expanded on it. Like that's, that's, I find that those are way better than when somebody who leads an interesting life then has like, you know, has kind of a, a co-writer come in and like, I yeah. like the voice of, of the person who is actually right. speaking. And, but also I feel like maybe some of those co-written you know, a co-written autobiographies right. are, uh, they kind of try to direct them into this really sensational, Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I get, I mean, obviously that's what is going to interest people in a book. Right. And you're like, well, I was, I was there when this happened. And I could say that about a lot of things. I can be like, well, I was there when this, this incident happened or this really cool show happened or whatever. But I kind of unintentionally, it started becoming about me and yeah. how I became who I was and where I, where I went with, you know, my personal life, my career, whatever. And around the framework of being on tour with Guns N' Roses or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, that's kind of, but that's like, I, I'm, I'm hoping that that's because like I, the things that people have seen from the book are more like these kind of, Hey, this time, this one time this happened. And now it's, it, I think if they read it, they're like, oh, some of this is really depressing. <laughs> but what I was curious about was like, obviously you still do a lot of tacking for big bands. I mean, was there sure. a lot of stuff you couldn't write because you're like, I don't want to burn this bridge or something? Um, you know, the the first, the when I first announced that I was going to be taking these stories and putting them in a book and, and having them published in a very limited run. Which I mean doesn't matter, but uh, the my friend Ben, who got me the who got me on tour with Guns N' Roses, he he manages Tommy Stinson, who was in Replacements and has been playing in Guns N' Roses for the last fourteen years. He manages Tommy, and he saw it, and he was like, "This is great, you know, do this do this thing." And he, he saw some of the stories that were in there. One of them is specifically my whole account of coming to tour with them and being a huge Guns N' Roses fan growing up. So this is like a big deal. And I know it's not the same band anymore. It's really just Axel. And like, it was kind of like a story about how I met Axel and it was just crazy. And like, I've, you know, one crazy night and, uh, he read it and Tommy read it. And the first thing they said was, you can't put that in the book. And I was like, why not? I'm like, my my story, I I would think my my very short whatever story is. There's no surprises in there. I don't I don't go in there and be like, you know, Axel was late today. Everybody knows that's like right. that's like a known fact. Like this, I'm not. That's something that people knew, knew already. It's like Guns and Roses parties. I mean, yeah, we were alive during the '80s and early '90s. We know, like, that's not a, that's that's not. That's a, what their songs are about. I can't yeah. believe that Tommy Stinson actually chimed well, in well, on it. He, too. I mean, he was just like, "Hey, listen," and I, I love Tommy, so I, I I respect his opinion. I respect him musically. He's a great. He's a he was a great guy to work for, and I hope at some point I get to work for him again. But he was like, "Hey, it's not coming from me." He's like, if the wrong people catch wind of it, you might have some sort of like thing on your hands. So I kind of 
chopped it down a little bit. I do have the original somewhere where it's the entire story that I wrote. And it kind of get I mean, it's the editing process. You, 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 you go back and you look and you say, okay, maybe I won't mention that person's name or I won't get into that crazy of a detail, but it still makes it for an interesting, interesting story. And it still kind of goes through the whole thing of like how it, I went from a fan to being close to these people and being and being around it every day and kind of I didn't while it was happening I just didn't realize it and everyone's like you toured with Guns N' Roses that's kind of insane like what was <laughs> what was that like I'm like well we were in, in India and this happened like wait I went to India that's <laughs> yeah that's, that's kind of wild too you know all but, these like wild little things happen but I mean I'm, I'm not gonna detail every single thing in these stories it's like all right this happened this I, I learned this from this situation and moving on you know but the interesting thing, like you never hear first-hand accounts of Axl Rose ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I haven't. Yeah, and 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 that's the kind of thing where I had to like. I mean, I, I this and this sounds weird, but having been on tour with them, the first tour I did was three months. I was away in Europe, and I didn't meet him until a month later, like a month <laughs> into it. Like people, people are asking, like, "What's Axel like?" I mean, I have no idea. As a performer, I can tell you because he's uh, that's the only time I see him is on Holy the shit. stage. So yeah, so you're I'm around this guy and his presence is there and it's just sort of like uh, he's pretty well protected. Right. But then once it, once he knew who I was and who I I I was able to get, you know, be in touch with him. I mean, it was uh, it was only a few times really that uh, over the course of a year where we we were like at the same parties, the same whatever, and and I talked to him a bit. It's 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 weird. He's definitely the that's like the biggest star I've ever been around, but not very not really that protected. Not like not impossible to get to. Like I I would think like it would be more impossible. To talk to someone like Kanye West or something, you know, like but they're, just, they're so guarded, right? And Axel's just like he just wants to hang out. He still likes to have the girls around him, and he likes to sit around and smoke his cigars, and you know, like. So you were guitar teching on I was, that? Tour? I was, yeah, I was bass. I was bass tech for Tommy Stinson. Bass tech. He wanted me to come out with the replacements, and I couldn't do it, and that was a huge bummer. But yeah, disclosure—they're like my favorite band. The replacements. I'm a huge replacements fan. Man, he he would talk about it like it wasn't even a plan. Like it wasn't going to happen. And then it's like I guess came together after the songs for Slim thing. Yeah, they started kicking around the idea of doing it again. But he would, you know, he would talk about it. He'd be like, "Man, this Matt's thing." He's like, "Can't wait for that to happen again." Really? Like, he was like, "Yeah." He was like, he was up. Oh, I think he was always up for the idea of it. And he was like, he was always like. Stick, you know, came and kind of gave me the stick around, kid. You know, <laughs> I'll get, I'll get you a job. Yeah, I hope they are. They going to do? Do you know if they're going to do I, any I don't, more shows? I, don't know. I, I hope they do more. I hope they do a full tour. And if they do, I'd love to be involved in it and see it every night. Me too. <laughs> Jonah actually got I, to see him in Chicago, yeah. and but oh, he was yeah. drunk. Like was, as we were talking, yeah, like, I was like how, people were like, "How was?" I was like, "I think it was good. I don't know. It was like rain. It was raining. <laughs> I'm asking wet. him. Well, I'm the songs that they played. He's like, yeah. Well, I." Here, here's the thing. I mean, I I like the replacements a lot. As does anybody my age, kind of grew up with that. I've seen the set list and some of it. I'm like, that's cool. It's like, oh, that's awesome. They played all that. I'm like, 
some of it I, I don't I'm not super familiar with. I think it's they're a band that if I got to see them, I would enjoy all this all the stuff that I was really familiar with and everything else would kind of be like a looking at my watch like, all right, come on, let's, right, get, to the, let's right, get to the next right, right. song. See, I know every song, so <laughs> Well, you know here's an interesting thing. Me and one one of the other guys I work with, who's uh Josh Newton, I think you had him on the show yeah. a, a a bit ago. He uh we were talking about how even if it's a band we really, really enjoy and we really we're like stoked to see them. Even if you're so excited and the show starts and as soon as it starts, you're two or three songs in, you're like, All right, when is it when is this gonna wrap when is this gonna wrap up? We've had this conversation. Yeah, like do, do you does that happen to you? Like do you, yeah. I, I feel, I feel it's like forty minutes is kind of like once that's, you that's it's the cat, part, I mean that's the cat. I think even though, even because you know, we're all in the business. We've been to so many fucking shows, and it's like you can't hold our attention. I feel like I, I do this thing lately where I'll be so excited for a show, and then like three songs in, I'm like, oh, this is still going. Like, I'm, like my <laughs> yeah. back hurts. Like, but yeah. I, oh I, my god, I did it. Yeah. Okay, the last time I remember doing this, <laughs> where I was like, like conscious of, like, what am I doing? I, I, I want to say it was at the Jealous Sound show at the music hall and i'm like and i I like the jealous sound yeah but it was like three or four songs in i'm just like over at the bar i'm getting a beer and i'm just like the bartender we're both like yeah you know <laughs> kind of giving each other like when is this gonna end two records and an ep so yeah. pathetic yeah. but so true yeah, that's amazing and, <laughs> and, and, and maybe it has something to do with like now I'm, I'm on the working end of it and i have to really pay attention for an hour and a half or in the case of GNR, like three hours. Yeah. That's three hours of your attention. You know what? That's a lot I'll, of time. You know, also full disclosure. I didn't pay attention the whole time. Like, <laughs> there might've been a couple songs where I left the stage. I don't know. Like I just <laughs> left and let me go to the dressing room. See if they, Oh, this to have cheese snacks. And like, I, I can't possibly for three straight three. hours be like, Hundred percent devoted to what's going. And I don't think anybody can. Yeah, I don't. Especially now, without the aid of drugs. You know? <laughs> yeah. What What is it like logistically though? Working for a band in this, especially that band where this it runs so late all the time. Do you just kind of set up the gear and then wait and sort of? Yeah, I mean, it, it gets. I mean, obviously, it's set up during the day. You know, we get my day is always pretty much the same in the morning. You come in and they do all the lights and the video and all the stuff, and then we're the very last thing that comes in and. We do our little sound check and the band does not come in and we all just do our thing. And then, you know, when it's time for the show, like the opening band, we had, you know, we had a bunch of different bands and then we had Thin Lizzy and whoever, you know, whoever else, ZZ Top. We had all these bands opening and they'd finish. And normally on most normal shows, it'd be like a 20 minute to 30 minute gap between the openers and, and what we're doing. And sometimes it would be like over an hour. So I would just like sit around and wait and we, you know, sometimes we just like start drinking. <laughs> and you know, you're just like literally sitting, every show. But are like, the, I mean, right? not every, like he started getting better about it, but I mean. But he's obviously doing it on it, purpose. Like, but I, I mean, I'm not going to say it's on purpose or an accident or whatever, or people not telling him what time he's supposed to be on. Like whatever it is, it doesn't matter, but we, we would be ready. We would ready. We were ready to go. Sometimes he'd be on time. There were times he was early, which is, you know. That happens too, but for the most part, average. It was kind of late. It's what you expect. 
is it's very well documented. It's like complaining about getting sprayed with Fago at like an ICP show. It's totally, like yeah. you know, right. you know it's right. gonna happen. Right. Right. You know, like <laughs> I went to this Guar show and I got all this fake blood all over me. I can't believe it. Right, right. right. Of course exactly. that happened. You know, like of course you waited, and and it would, it'd be crazy because people would, it, like in in a lot a lot of it was overseas touring, almost all of it except for the we did a residency in Vegas. But other than that, it was all Europe and Japan and Southeast Asia, you know, all these all these places. And in Europe, especially in the UK, it was very like people get really rowdy. And it happens, man. When you wait an hour or more late and you're you know, you're like, Well, now I've missed my fucking train and right. I'm wasted. I've been drinking a thousand, you know, Stellas while I'm waiting, yeah. waiting for this to go on. Everyone's just like, now they're, you know, they're kind of throwing things at the stage and you're like, oh, this is going to get ugly. And then they come out and everyone's stoked and then they hang out for all three hours and they, they love it. Right. And that's like the part of it that I'm like, still got it. <laughs> you know, that's intense. He's, he must, you know, they, they must still have it because people will put themselves through the you know, four or five hours of waiting or whatever to get to it. And they, they sit through the whole thing. So that's more than they did for, you know, a reunion show or Edna's golf. So <laughs> no, if we were five minutes late, people, yeah, we're yeah. out of here. <laughs> what This is not just for Guns N' Roses, any of these gigs. Like when you're playing, like say you're teching for some band, you're playing from like 20,000 people and all of a sudden the guitar player is like cuts out. Like what, what do you do? Like, I feel like I would just like well, panic and run away and quit. You know, everyone, Everyone from the artists to the people working for them have a different reaction to it. I try to, I went through a period when I was very, I was like very new at what I was doing and I, I had been in a band, so I knew these pro- problems come up. Who was the first band you started teching for? For uh, I was for Brand New. Okay. I had, ju- I literally just quit my band and I was, went through like a month of feeling sorry for myself. I was living with my my folks again out on Long Island and I was just I was just bumming you know and I was I got and I got a call from Brian Lane he was like hey would you be interested in teching and I was like I had no idea what I've changed strings and like put your cases in the trailer and then drink with you guys like which is kind of what it was at the beginning because I didn't I didn't really have anything intense to do but there were times when I'd plug it all in and it just wasn't working right. And, you know, dudes would kind of be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm not that guy. I wasn't that guy yet. I wasn't a problem solver yet. I was kind of still trying to live out this. I want to be on the stage and I want, I want to travel and want to do this thing. But this provided me the opportunity to keep traveling. And I was with my friends and I was like, my friends will never get mad at me. And like, I mean, they weren't mad at me, but like they were kind of, hey, man, you got to sort of step it up. And that's that was the first that was the first sort of wake up call. Like, all right, either I'm going to go back to doing a band and take that super seriously and start over again, or I can kind of try to do this. And I learned over time not to freak out so much. But then once in a while, you know, I've had guys I've worked for, different bands who, I mean, before even going into it, they were just like, hey, this guy might be a little bit of a handful. Make sure his shit is tight. Make sure everything is good. And 
I feel like part of part of what I do involves this weird low level psychology or being like someone's like you know you kind of ego stroke a little bit and do that and not in a not in a bad way like I right. don't think anybody's no one's ever screamed at me or kicked me or you know like I wouldn't I wouldn't stand for it but some some guys get a little like freak out and you gotta try to have to do everything as quickly and as painlessly as possible and sometimes it happens in front of 20,000 people and there is literally nothing you can do about it and if they're understanding that they're that this is human error or whatever everything's cool and after the show you kind of, I, I kind of go up to them like hey sorry that happened and most of the times it's like oh yeah don't yeah don't even worry about it like that's fine right. so i don't i don't really think about that stuff anymore but it it happens it's happens it happens now you know maybe but maybe it'll happen my next show. <laughs> I heard Joe Troman, that guy can be a real dick. <laughs> Joe Troman is crazy. No, I mean, like, you know what? And it's, it's, it's whoever is on stage, it is their right. To, not their right, but like, it's okay if they freak out. I get it. You're, <clears throat> they're under pressure to put on this show where nothing bad happens and right. everybody leaves entertained. Like, that was a great show. And if, Something bad happens, like, you know, your guitar goes out or an amp blows up or something. And I watched Josh, you know, freak out before, maybe not in front of 20,000 people. Maybe it was 2,000, 3,000 people, whatever. And he, I see him over there panicking. So I run over to him. I'm like, dude, I'm, let me help you out. Let me do this thing. You know, like, I'm not going to leave him in the dust. You know? Right. And, um, yeah, so I, 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 I'll, I see that happen and it's like, what are you, you, know, you going to do? Like, the, of course the guy on stage is going to freak out. Of course the guy trying to help him is going to freak out. But when the show's over, everything's cool. We all, we're all backstage and having a drink. And we're like, Remember when that happened? That was hilarious. <laughs> and you kicked me in the head. And then you kicked me. <laughs> then you kicked me and then I'm going home. <laughs> See you later. Uh, yeah. That's so funny. I remember us talking a while ago about your life and you being like it's so weird because like we'll go to these super fancy hotels and there'll be like a guy that carries your like toothpaste bag to your room for you so you don't oh. have to i mean what's some of like the most just ridiculous <laughs> kind of like stuff you've kind of i mean that that kind of that kind of thing i just now it's almost like i ignore it because we'll we'll so we show up to a place and you get out of you know you're flying for hours and hours and you land at this place and they, you know, you get shuffled off to the hotel and you're just so tired and you just want to get, you just take your bag out of the van and one, you want to go or want to go up to the room and there's this guy with white gloves trying to carry your suitcase to your room and you're like, no, dude, just give me my suitcase. <laughs> I, I give this to you. Not only is it going to cost me something when you, when I get to the room, I'm going to have to give you money. It's not going to show up right when I need it. Like I want to just take a shower and fall asleep yeah. and I don't want to deal with this right now. Like don't touch my I stuff. I carry stuff for a living. I know. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, they, they don't understand. Like, the, I mean, the band guys are just like, they get out and, you know, they just walk, they walk off, walk off the van. They don't care about their stuff. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, did I have a suitcase when I left the airport? <laughs> right. like, did I bring clothes with me? I don't even know. Like, that's, that's kind of that. It's like the difference between uh, like the crew and the, and the band. And I, I see it every time we show up and that happens, but I, I don't know. It's, it, there's never, 
There's never like a, a, a it's not a standard. Sometimes we're in the really fancy place where I, I'm just like, I walk in and I'm like, I don't belong here. Like, I feel like I walk in and someone's going to hand me a vacuum cleaner and just be like, all right, just vacuum this lobby. You don't belong here. And I'm like, no, it's cool. I'm totally, someone paid for this room for me. I swear. You know? uh, yeah. So, so I don't know. Like, I, I don't like anything specific that sticks out. It's just all like a blur of places where the breakfast is too expensive. The soap has food in it. It's like you, you show up and it's like, it's like, ooh, that's a, what? It's like a broccoli oatmeal or whatever. Like, it's just good. I'm like, is this, you're supposed to put this on your skin? I don't understand, you know? So, yeah. The soap has food the, in it. The I have to write soap, that down. Soap, take note of it. If you ever, if you ever stay in a like five, six, seven star hotel, they no, always like, exactly what you're talking about. Oh, it's just yeah. hilarious. I wish I knew. <laughs> At least you're staying. Are you in the telling hotel me United Nations didn't? We <laughs> didn't say at the Four Seasons. We stayed in some pretty night. nice hotels. We stayed at the Nickelodeon Hotel, and in because we went to Disney World. The Nickelodeon Hotel. Nickelodeon has a hotel that's kind of decorated like all Nickelodeon stuff. It's theme based. Theme based. In Florida. It was or, or uh, either Disney or whatever. It was right outside wherever Orlando. It was in Orlando, I guess. But yeah. We yeah. uh, someone we're, there were nine of us. Someone the, when the guitar players and pianos become the teeth went to check in. They're like, "How many kids do you have with you?" And the guy was, and he was like, um, none. <laughs> and she was like, gave him a weird look. And he was like, oh, oh it's yeah. just me and my wife or whatever. And then you had to get wristbands. It's like trying to go to, to like go to the pool. So we thought it would be like, <laughs> you're supposed to wink and say, we hear there's plenty here. We, need to bring yeah, we thought it would be like this hilarious zany thing. And it had a water park. And then we got no. there. We're like, we can't go in this. Like, it's a bunch of like tattooed, <laughs> dirty guys in their third. I was like, we can't go to this water park. <laughs> like, we're going to get arrested. Yeah. <laughs> so then we had this thing where we all just stayed in the room. And like, if someone had to go to smoke, it'd be like, just do it fast. Like, and, and, let's, all, and let's get out of here. And all nine of you shared one room, and you, yeah. you did you, you did that thing? Yeah, but there were like th- this room I like had a fold that. out couch. Yeah, it I was mean, a pretty. It was a suite. I mean, and it had like was... a Rugrats mural on it or something. <laughs> so wrong. Yeah, <laughs> we used to do that thing. Just yeah, the not nine guys in a room. Oh yeah, sneak in the back door. You had to. I mean, yeah. even in the nineties and touring when touring was cheaper, but I mean, we made less money. It would be like. Here's thirty dollars. Thanks for playing. And like, hey man, there's six people in our band, and we haven't eaten today. Well, it looks like we're splitting a bag of shredded cheese, <laughs> you know. And like, we'd go to the Motel Six, and you know, you know the deal. I do. Just kind of like, all right, two people go in, yeah. and then in like an hour from now, <laughs> we'll open the back door, and then like two of you will come in, look real casual. No one bring any bags. Change into what you're sleeping in in the van, you know. Yeah, it's like every band had that fucking down, like the whole way to get away with it. I don't think bands do that. I mean, do, I mean I, by and large, I feel like bands <clears throat> now, the younger bands, kind of want the the real like rock star experience. And you see these bands in like tour buses well, way they before they should, it, man. Way before they should be able to afford it. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess we did okay with my first real band that toured everywhere we did it i think we did well enough that we probably could have gotten a bus at for like a short period of time yeah but you didn't that was the thing no, like we it wasn't cool against it you know i remember we did we toured with rancid in like 94 kind of at the peak of let's go i guess and like i probably they were all in vans man yeah you yeah, know they like totally. they were they would have been embarrassed to get in the bus and that was kind really? of the they attitude were in a van then yeah, oh, they, yeah well they had a couple really nice custom vans we i remember wow. but, i remember seeing them at the tune-in in new haven um, I think they had a gear truck. A veil. It was a veil, and the a veil, 
the queers and rancid. And, nice. and, they, and there was just like vans parked out. There was yeah. no tour buses. And it was just vans. And I think maybe they had like a box truck that they were splitting. Like, yeah, no, it was And that like one of the, the dudes drove it. You know, it's like, hey, we got this rider truck and, you know, they split <laughs> it. And they were selling T-shirts for like five bucks. And I mean, it was it was pretty punk rock. Yeah, you know? I mean, it was you, it was just kind of. And also, I mean, because a lot of those bands were, you know, it was kind of like the turnover where where bands were actually like they were making money on the road, these bands, you know, like, whereas yeah. like the major, the real old school major label bands, your thing was like the road, the tours were just purely promotional. So it was like, you were going to try and make money on your records. So whatever made it more comfortable, like you, you didn't, you, but like bands like Ranson, they made so much money on merch and on touring that oh, like yeah. they wanted, you know, the idea was to keep the keep costs down because you'd come back from the road with like a lot of money. We we had a lot. We we took away a lot from that. Like we 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 saw stuff like that. We're like, all right, well, when we do this, we're gonna do the same way. We're gonna get a van, get a trailer, <laughs> do the do the, the our merch as cheap as possible because that's what kept people coming back to see yeah. us. Not not saying that there was thousands of people, but it it's funny because I bands now will sell. I don't know if you sell forty, fifty thousand records. Those bands will like we got to get a bus and we got to do this thing and. My band sold 40,000 records back in the 90s, and we were, like, you know, sleeping on people's floors. Yeah. And because it was – that was nothing because bands were still selling millions of records of, like, you know, 50,000 was, like, your first week. Yeah. You know, that took us a year or two to do. And I'm, I'm still wondering. I'm like, were there, like, way more people listening? We, there was no way to gauge it because we didn't have – the, you didn't even have Spotify and all that and a way to track all these str- – how many times did someone stream the song? And right. How many, how many downloads did we have here and how many people were burning copies of our you – know, there's no way to know. So you know, 20,000, 30,000 records might have been like way more people listening to it. Yeah. I'm sure it was. Yeah. And it, it, it's kind of, that's – I feel like that was – that's like lost now forever. Like I'll never know. <laughs> I'll never – what could have been, you know? Do you miss playing in a band? Um, sometimes I do and I'm constantly on this thing where I'm, I, I want to start something and I want to play, I want to play music and I have occasionally here and there played with my, my girlfriend's a musician. She, she plays out, she, she does, um, she, she like books smaller venues and stuff and she'll go play and there's been a couple of times I've just, I'll play with her, you know, and like, it's not like a huge crowd, but I, I get the feeling I'm like, oh, I'm up here playing again. I'm like, that's kind of cool. And I get the, the itch to do it again. And I want to I wanna be creative and I have all these ideas and I re- I'll like record something on my own and I'm like, ah, I don't, I'll never do it. But obviously being around these, <laughs> all these different bands all the time, you get, you get the itch to do it. You get, you want to do it. You want to, you want to be in front of, in front of people, being like, "Hey, I'm, I'm the singer now, and I'm the bass player, or whatever." That's always what I, I was always a singer, bass player. <laughs> but uh, whatever, you know. Like, if I do it, I do it. If I don't, whatever. I talk about it with with lots of different guys. For a while, I was talking to you, you know, Mike Ireland, Mikey from I'm the Avalanche. You know, no, personally. I don't know him. He, well, he, he, we talked about doing something a while ago. I don't know. We just kind of forgot about it. I always talk about doing something. I wanted to do something with Justin Skirty 
kind of like we, it started out as we wanted to do a rocket from the crypts halloween cover band uh-huh. then i was like wow i kind of just want to do a, a band in that vein that's like kind of a, a thing that i'd be into doing you know but i i just i kind of i i miss it but i don't miss the struggle sometimes yeah no yeah. didn't we talk about doing a descendants cover band we talked about one point? yeah we, <laughs> here's the thing it always starts as a, as a descendants cover band or a rock from the crypt cover band <laughs> yeah and yeah. we talk about that we'll sit at the bar we'll talk about that and then just get shit hammered and forget like the next day I wake up I'm like I could never do that like, <laughs> like I can't imagine like doing 10 songs that aren't mine Descendants yeah. is pretty ambitious too that is that yeah. is a very that is a very ambitious one and you, you think it's not and then you're you listen to it you're like especially for bass and like, yes I listen to it and I'm like oh my god I can't do that I mean I probably could you probably could but it would take, take it would take some it would take some effort yeah you know? I agree I I always, I always toy with those ideas and and just kind of, and then you know, and then I'll I'll end up being like, hey, I got to do, I got to go on tour and do this, or I'm in the middle of writing a book. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I got to write my book today. <laughs> Don't have time to practice those Descendants covers. <laughs> Did you like, get the the text, Jonah, from Stephen? I've gotten so many texts, I just haven't been checking. Out. <laughs> he says he's checking in with us. He said Tommy Stinson told Colin Paul. West, oh no, told Colin, Paul Westerberg is a bigger diva than Axel. <laughs> wow. But um, since you never really work with Paul Westerberg, right? Well, I, I didn't, I didn't, I've never even met Paul, but we, you know, when the, when the, the opportunity first presented itself to work for the replacements, when Tommy was like, you know, you're my dude, I want you to come out with the replacements. And he told me it was three shows over the course of like two months. I was like, I can't do it. Right. But I, I, I was considering it. So I, right away I'd like look up Paul. And I, I obviously I know Paul, who Paul Westerberg is. I'm like, is he, a, is he difficult? Like, I don't know. And like, from what I've read, he can be, he can be difficult, but in a way I'm like, Hey, you know, he's a, this is a super influential artist. Like, they all have their quirks. Right. You know? They all have their. Of... They all have their thing. He also has a dyslexic heart, which must be tough. <laughs> I was waiting. Just, I was like, is he gonna just? Is he gonna one pun? It's at some point in the day, we've been one, here. Yeah, that's, just, I don't know what your problem is. That's the first slide. That was slowing down. It, it old age. It's hard to work puns from the single soundtrack into conversation. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what can I? What can I do in this? You know, in this situation, what's appropriate? Single soundtrack. Perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, so are these Tommy, guys, Tommy hasn't squealed though. No, he's, I mean, he's, uh, Tommy, Tommy was easy enough to work for. He likes to, you know, he likes things a certain way. Like every other artist that I've worked for, he likes things to be in order and he doesn't, doesn't like fuck ups and he doesn't like his band. He's a musical director for GNR. He's right. like, he's, he's the been guy been for 14 years. Yeah, he's been, he's been in the crazy. band. This is crazy. He's been in the band longer than any other original member of the band was. He's been the bass yeah, player. Right. He's been he's been in the band longer than Duff was ever in the band. And Duff was the bass player from the beginning. Yeah. And I'm not he doesn't make it he doesn't make him any more original or anything. Right, but right. like that's an interesting fact at this point. Well, yeah, I didn't know that. And he's the only other he's the only other bass player they've ever had. They've gone through dozens of guitarists and they've had bunch of drummers and keyboard players well dizzy still dizzy reed is still in the band and yeah he's been in, he's been in the band since 90 
90, whatever, 91, 92. I don't know. Like, oh, really? Wow. Well, that, that, would, that would make it 20 some years. My math is really <laughs> spot on I, today. Like, I think <laughs> whatever the math was, is. Yeah, 99 <clears throat> is when I think Tommy was joined the band, played on Chinese Democracy, did the whole thing. I mean, he's he has stories. I mean, this is a, a guy who, I mean, he's been playing in, he played, started playing when he was like 12. Yeah, exactly. You know, and living that life, living that like extremely hard. Yeah. Drinking Minneapolis kind of, you know, like I, I didn't know people. I've worked for Minneapolis bands. And like, I know that, that, that personality is, it's very specific to that part of the country. And it's, he lives it, man. He's like, he's like for real. He's like the most for real, like to me, like the most legendary dude I've ever worked with. And it's, it's, it's rad to know him. You know, it's rad to be on. That you need side to of it. next time you talk to him, tell him that I'm waiting for the Bash and Pop uh, reunion. <laughs> I fucking that's the one thing loved... we never discussed was Bash and Pop. <laughs> I loved that and the Perfect stuff. I thought those records were awesome. Man. You know, he also played. Okay, do you remember? I want to say the name of the band was Fuzz Bubble. Was it the band that? Okay, it was put together by. I don't know that. By man. okay, it was put together by P Diddy. To play the rock and roll remix of "It's All About the Benjamins." Do you remember this? It was no. like, no. <laughs> oh my god! Don't you need to lo- you need to look this up. I will, dude. <laughs> and he's in the video for it. He's in the video at the beginning. It's like this. The video takes place at this prom, and and Tommy Stinson is the. It's Tommy Stinson. Dave, I want to say Dave Grohl playing oh, drums. Shit. Dave Grohl playing drums. Tommy Stinson guitarist the guitarist might have been slash i don't know i we need <laughs> you, you making to, this up i am not making this up I, this is a real thing i used to do acid but i don't do it anymore <laughs> it is not a flashback this is a real thing tommy tommy was involved in this thing it was like i want to say 98 or 99 right when he started fuzz bucket fuzz bubble i want to say oh man if i remember 90s power pop band from Long Island, New York. No, no, this is something different. No, no, no. There it is. The band, yes, and Tommy. Uh, I'm like way off mic, <laughs> but I'm telling you, Tommy Stinson was involved in this thing. He played on one song with these guys, and they did back up P Diddy on their uh, on his that song, all about the Benjamins remix. Wow. And, and it was weird because I, I that I'd locked away in my brain so long ago. And one day we were like, we were like in Australia or something like that. And it just popped in there. I was like, wait a minute. And I asked him about it and he was like, yep. And I, and he told me the whole story about it. And I was like, whoa, like, where did that, how did that happen? Like, it just like came, like just came rushing back and I remembered the video and, if, Real weird. If Tommy ever comes on this podcast, we'll definitely ask him about it. Oh, de- you definitely. That's going to be the first thing. Like, so tell me about your time playing with Fuzzbubble or whatever, whatever the incarnation of the band was then. I don't know if it was exactly that, but yeah, it was pretty crazy. It is crazy. Um, I always think it's interesting when someone goes from kind of like the, the punk, that world to like Guns N' Roses, wh- whatever, like Primus, like being on like that mainstream level. I mean, how much of your kind of progression in teching do you think is due to like technical stuff and how many of it's just being like a nice person that people want to have around on tour well i 
I think my my roots in punk rock and hardcore. I'm mean, say like my my '90s hardcore uh, Long Island roots kind of come through sometimes when I'm when I'm working for these bands that are they're a little bigger and they and they're used to things a certain way and I'm just like, well, we can do this this cheap and whatever and you know I'll I'll take I'll take something to their management and be like, well, we can do this and this and they're like, oh. Well, yeah, like, why didn't we think of doing it that way? And I'm like, do I just have these weird punk street smarts that <laughs> people who are in the, the, you know, when they've been doing something for so long, they kind of lose touch with doing things on a, on a very, like a grassroots level. And it's, and it's not their fault. I mean, it's like, they've just been doing it for so long. Like, I, I got, look at a band like Anthrax. Obviously they came from the metal scene in New York, punk, punk rock, metal, whatever. It was, I mean, way more separated then. Right. But I mean, they came, they came up from. You know, you can read the history of it and watch documentaries about it behind the music, whatever. And that's where they came from. And now, you know, Scott's a Scott Ian is a is a very popular. You know, you people recognize him and absolutely. You know, he still I think he still has that like those the those grassroots beginnings in him. But he's still like you know he's flying from show to show and staying in the nice hotels and he's a total foodie. He goes you know he just like goes to fancy dinners. I think he still has it in him. And I, I feel like some people still, they have it in them, but they kind of slowly lose touch with it over time. And uh, I, I, I don't know if my, my roots in, in that is what gets me my, gets me my jobs or if I'm just a nice guy or I'm funny to be around or I just have good skills on my job. I don't know what it is, but I feel like sometimes those, those punk rock roots are what get me that keep that keep me around so people are like well he's kind of like he's resourceful in a very in that very kind of like i can i can save you money kind of way right, you know what right, I mean? right. because that's where we came from we came from you know touring on you know twenty dollars and fifty dollars a day and i if i take that to a band that can spend that in a matter of seconds <laughs> they're just like wait we can do this for cheap like, right sure i mean if you how do you not know this? You know, like, did you forget? And I, I mean, of all the bands that I work for who haven't really had, I still in touch with that sort of, sort of thing. Like fall out boy. Those guys are still very in touch with their, with their, um, their backgrounds. Like hard, they, you know, they came out of suburban hardcore scene in, you know, the two thousands, early, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. That's where they came from. And regardless of what people think of them now, like pop rock band or whatever, like those dudes, like Pete and and Joe can and Andy and uh, all all four of them can talk about the about that that uh, that scene very knowledgeably, and people will be surprised, you know. And and, and not I mean, some people aren't because they know they came from the you know they came from all the bands they were in, Arm Angelus, whatever. Um, where was I going with this? <laughs> Um, I can, I'm go. I'm going off track right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really like kind of. Go, yeah. like, we need a little. No, no. I got to yeah, rein it in a little bit. Um, don't rein it in. Don't rein it in at all. Rain no. it in less. Okay, but like they, so they, you know, they have that understanding. So when I, you know, I come along, it's like they. I know they've had other people working for them that have kind of just been like, you know, you know, big shot tour manager or big shot whoever, you know, whoever they are. And they're just like, well, this is how the this is how the pros do it. This is how we're going to do it. And I'm like, you know, you can do it this way, or you can do it 
the kind of punk rock way. And we and we do things, anything from like arena shows to we did, to what are the comeback shows? What did we do? Oh, the Webster Hall basement or Subterranean in Chicago. Or, um, or the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. Or the Victoria's Secret <laughs> Fashion Show, which was just Ooh. really, it was a, what a difficult day. Yeah, uh, that sounds awful. It was terrible. <laughs> you know what? We probably have the par- only terrible thing about it is that it was, it was just a long day. Yeah. You, know, you just get in there and you're sitting around and, and these, you know, they're, they're TV people. They're, it's all TV people and like they're just let's let's rehearse it again let's rehearse it again we got to time it we got to this has got to happen these people need to walk out of this i'm like oh my god like and the guy the, the band i can tell is like at this point like how many times we have to do this like how many times we have to play this same song over and over again while stand-in models well it's not even the real models right. walking out during rehearsal <laughs> it's just some some girl wearing a, a sign around her neck with fake cardboard wings on just walking down the <laughs> aisle which is kind of amazing you know <laughs> just out there i'm like you don't look like whoever that famous victoria's secret model famous is brazilian model yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> but it was it was interesting to see that too that was a whole other world we were all i think everybody involved from the band and management and crew and everybody, we were like in our little pink curtained dressing room, just kind of going, what the fuck is going on right now? I'm like, have you been over to the side where the models are? It smells so nice over there. Like, <laughs> See, our pe- room smells like burritos and dudes. Like, this this might just be my fantasy, but I picture, don't they, are they just like changing in front of you and stuff or is that not really no, happening? I mean, I, I would think, I, I thought that too, and we kind of, we kind of, <laughs> you know, we were. That. Yes, they do. You know, everyone out there, I just want you well, to know the, that's the actually band, what happens. The band, like they, <laughs> they split them up to enter. Like they had Pete and Andy enter enter on one side, and they had the other the other two guys, uh, Patrick and Joe, entered entered on the other side. Okay. And there was like, this big backstage, like this, you know, it's a t- crazy production. It's hundreds of people back there, and we Pete is on the other side. We did two tapings. And the first taping, I, I run over there, I hand him his bass and I kind of take off and he's like, you're going to hang around? I'm like, no, it's like super weird over here because that's his side was where all all of the models are waiting. And then it's like cameras and they're all posing. And I'm like, this just doesn't seem real right yeah. now. This, I'm like inside of a photo shoot. This is very strange. I'm out of here. It, like I said, it smells really nice over here, but it's not, this is not, I don't, it's really pink over there. And the other side's like a little darker and grittier and there's like stage hands. And I'm like, that's my world. I'll, I'm going to go hang out over there. And on the second take, Pete, you know, before he came out, he was like, dude, just hang out with me for a second. He's like, I feel real strange. He's like, you kind of left me by myself. And I'm like, and he's like, who, like, no one wants to talk to this little elf guy over here. You know, like, they're like, what is he doing over here? You know? Because, I mean, at that point, there's so much going on that the music and the performers are like almost, they were like secondary. They're just, they're just coloring to the whole other thing that's going on. Like, it could have been anything happening on that stage. And people were just like, it's a, it's a huge fashion show, huge production. There's all sorts of shit going on. And yeah, that was an experience. That was a weird one. I'm sure. It, yeah, and I've had weird, like weird things have happened over the years that I'm just like in my pocket. I'm like, well, that happened, and this one was definitely like that'll well, be in the next book. It, it's awesome next, because bands are, you know, it, I've seen, I've been in these similar situations because a band, you don't, 
you know, you get you're it's very insular, you know, and you're you're doing the same thing every night. You're kind of dealing with the same people every night, but you're this little family. And so when you take that and drop it into like this alien situation like that, it's really totally. the biggest, like most cocky, confident people suddenly get just really like yeah, they're yeah, out of you, place. And, and it's Yeah, you just feel you feel I mean Listen, what what you're gonna see what you'll see on on the when they broadcast this thing or whatever, like obviously it's a band on stage and they're they're confident and they're they've been doing stuff like this for years now. Right. I mean they like went you know, you go from being like I said, you have these punk rock roots and you you can easily switch it on, switch it on and off. You can go play in a basement and do this cool little basement show or whatever, like a little tiny club show, or you can go on this major nationally televised production with you know famous models and celebrities and lights and all the stuff and it's the same you have that same vibe you're still performing it's still the same thing but yeah the 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 minutes leading up to it you're kind of just back there like what the fuck am i involved in how did my little band (laughs) that was in the back you know playing in the back room of some vfw hall all of a sudden is now you know all of a sudden is now doing these crazy productions and whatnot. You probably get this a lot too. People are probably like, how did you, how can I do what you do? Like, I feel people come to me and they're like, I want to write about music. How do you do it? And I'm just like, I, I was going to ask you that. How do I write? <laughs> I'm like, now that I have this book, I should start writing well, I, more. I, I feel like, I don't know what to, cause I'm like, I don't know. I did a zine. Then I did this. Like, I'm just like, I don't know how you would you know, do, do it now. I just don't. I just had a path that existed in a certain time. I, I feel the same. Okay. Any, any sort of, thing that people create when it was like i'm like how do you write a book and i had to ask someone who had written several books which is chris i was like hey i'm like i know you you're a friend of mine like how do you how did you do this or i can go to you how did you write how did you end up writing for ap or how did someone i know make a movie like i I like justin from motion city like he's he's made move like things like that mystify me and i'm so i i feel the same way like people come to me and they're like how did you like, how did you get into doing what you do? And I sometimes I'm for I, I kind of blank for a second. I'm like, I don't I don't know. I just I I was persistent. I didn't I didn't really think it would lead to this. I didn't I thought honestly when I first left my band, my when I left Reading Show 2003, I thought I'm gonna do this temporarily. This is like a summer job. I'm gonna go out on tour with this band. And I'll do this. I'll save some money and I'll start my next thing. And it was kind of the same thing that happened to me when I dropped out of college and started touring with my band. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to take a year off of being in school. My folks were like, go ahead, do that. And I, here I am, you know, it's like 20 years later and (laughs) <laughs> I don't remember how it all happened. It just sort of like awesome. things just sort of fell in place. I think it was a series of I'm going to get back to that later. I'm going to I'm going to get back to being in a band or I'm going to get back to school or who knows? I mean, I don't know where this writing thing will lead me. I don't know if it's going to be like, all right, well, I'm going to I'm going to try this writing thing. I'll get back to teching in a little bit. I mean, I don't see that happening. It's like I don't know where the money is in that really, but I mean, how did I, how did I get into it? I just, I mean, I knew some people, they asked me for a, a favor and I did it. I mean, I, I went out and 
I went out and tried it. I'm like, there was no, there's never any harm in trying something new. And that's how, that's I, I kind of how I felt about the writing thing too. It was like, I don't know if I'm any good. I don't know if anybody's going to read it. I don't know if I'm going to make enemies out of it. I don't know if people that I know are going to kind of be like, well, that's not exactly how it happened. I'm like, well, it you know, kind of did. And I, that's my memory of it. And that's what I wrote down in these books. And that's what I've published. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how, I don't know how I, I get to the places where I am, where, how I, how I, how these, this path has taken me to where I am today. But I guess that the takeaway from it is don't turn anything down. Just try it. You know, like I tried being in a band. I did. I was like, at first I was like, I don't know if I could sing in front of people. I did it. And I ended up doing that for many years. I don't know if I can work for friends of mine and whatever. I've gone out to work for some of the biggest bands in the world. Now I'm kind of just doing this writing thing. And I was very resistant to it. I was very, I I was like, I don't, I can't fucking write. I remember being in Chicago with Megan and she was like, sitting in a car. She's like, what's going on with your writing? And I'm like, you're going to fucking ask me about this right now. Like, can't we just go eat and like, not <laughs> like, I don't want to be like bothered about the writing thing. And then I just, it's just like really stuck with me. Like, she was like, you're, you're doing, you're doing right now what you said you would, you, you tried being a man, you tried doing the tech thing. Why don't you try this? And I think that's, if anybody asked me how I ended up where I am today, what I've, what I do for a living, whatever, I was just saying like random chance and just trying something new, you know, just try, just try it. You don't know if you suck at it, go do something else. <laughs> like try it's like hey you know i i, I hey i was a terrible tech and now I can, <laughs> now i can go back and try to be in a band again or if you know like I'm that's what happened to me i teched once for thursday <laughs> <laughs> handed steve a guitar with no strap <laughs> nice he had to go like back it. change it and that was my last teching experience i tried it it did and it yeah. didn't it didn't pan out for me no it, it, try and everything if, <laughs> it, and if you if you do that if i did that now they'd be like Come on, man. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, it might just be like slipping the mind, but, you know, whatever. I don't know. It's, I, I kept on thinking, I'm like, I'm not going to do this forever. And I, I hope that it's at some point, I, you know, I can take this and turn it into something else, turn it into a different, a different career. And I've always have all these different ideas for different things I'm, I'm trying to do. And, uh, you know, I, I, I li- I'd like to keep I like to keep on that path and and saying like all right well this writing thing is working out I'm like I'll I'll, I'll just keep I'll just keep writing and if if it works it works if it doesn't there's always Guns and Roses <laughs> <laughs> keep doing that or keep doing the Fall Out Boy thing or whatever and you know like can always go back to that so yeah it's kind of where I am. All right, that was Brian Diaz. Um, very interesting guy. Brad, stop laughing at me. Uh, check out his book, Thousand Miles to Nowhere. You can buy it online. Check out our website. We'll have a link to it. Also, I wanted to mention, if you need some work done on your guitar, Brian is an amazing guitar tech, and I think he does setups and that type of stuff when he's home. So find him on Twitter or something and hit him up. He'll do a really good job. Question. Sure. To the two guitar players sitting in front of me, 
You can't set up your own guitar? Like, explain this to me. No. It's I mean, kind of like tuning your car. You could learn how to do it, but... But you want to get, like, the truss rod adjusted. Yeah. You want the action perfect. People that do it a lot, like, all the time can do it quickly and very well. And also, you know, d- there's so many variables. Like, the guitar itself the is weather. a variable. The kind of strings you use, like... Your particular preference for there's so many variables. Yeah. Like every time you change something, like if you change the string height, that changes the intonation. Do drummers do that? I don't, drummers don't do that. They're supposed to. They're supposed to tune their freaking drums. And there's, and there's also ways that you can keep your drums. Um, I mean, I know how to tune drums. I know drummers do it, but I don't think drummers go and pay someone to tune all their shit, do they? No, but there's maintenance you can do to drums to keep them, you know, to make sure that they haven't warped, to make sure that the heads are completely level, you know, that they're flat. You know how you top. do that? You light a match. You ever seen and that trick? Just burn the drums no. down and go it's get it. the coolest thing ever. Whenever you dent a drum head, you light a match and you just lightly wave the match over it and it'll, it sucks the oxygen out and it pops out the dent in the drum head. You got to be careful you don't burn your I'm fucking head. I'm not talking head. about the head. I'm talking about the shell. Oh, the shell itself? Ooh, they get dense in those too? <laughs> no, but the, they can warp a little bit so that, the, so that they're not totally level on top. Oh. Huh. I feel like Brian, if you're listening to this, he's probably like, oh my God, why are these guys talking <laughs> about so, this? They don't so know what they're so talking wrong. about. <laughs> Everything. I just, I've always been, con- I've always been interested with the setup. But I can so, do a, yeah, I can do a setup. I mean, it's like, you know, like you can, uh, can you know, do a better for someone than for you? Do you feel you no, can- no, I, no, I can set up my guitar basically, but you know, then if I take it to somebody that's really good and I say, here's the little things that I'd like to have, it'll come back. I, I took one time, I took a guitar to a guy and I used, I was very specific about the strings that I like to use. And he was like, you can't use these strings with this guitar. He's like, it's just, you're not going to, it's just not the best playability for the guitar and for the way the neck interacts with the strings. And he set up, up with strings that he thought would best fit it and it definitely he was right yeah but sometimes like i remember we were playing a big festival and i went to buy like new chords i was like i'm gonna get all new chords like blah 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 and i was like it's a really big stage of anything longer than 20 feet and the dude was like and i was like what he's like longer than 20 feet man it's gonna really start affecting your tone and i was like all right like i get it i get what you're saying but like how much (laughs) how much is another foot on a cable gonna affect my tone like but it's like Sometimes I just can't deal with that kind of like that kind of attitude when you get so. It's called geek level. Yeah. Nonsense. Like who sets up Jeff Beck's guitar? You're not recording with the damn thing. Yeah. Let me tell so, you, I've recorded with 50 foot cords. So like, fuck whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out that like there was such a big backline that like I had like three feet of stage space anyway. So it didn't <laughs> matter. But it's like, let's everyone relax with this. But tech tip. Talk to Brian about those, but ours, I guess, is put your instrument near fire and it will fix it. <laughs> yes. Essentially. Pretty much. That's exactly so, what I'm trying to tell you. Some free advice. Mm-hmm. You can take that however you will. Take and it. Enjoy yeah. your success. And we are not liable for whatever happens. Facebook.com slash going off track. Twitter.com slash going off track. PayPal.com slash going off track. Oh, that's a good one. No, mm. actually, it's, what is that connected nice. to? I don't know. It's connected to the website. Donate it's connected there. to our website. Do not donate it to some weird backslash site that <laughs> yeah. I just made up. Great. Sorry. We've just lost billions of dollars. It I'm is sure. nice to have someone else to blame, though, for our own shortcomings. That is true. Um, <laughs> what else? Brian's cool. Brian's If awesome. you can afford him, hire him. If you can afford him, yeah. Take him out on the road and uh, check out the reunion show and Edna's Goldfish, his old bands. They're 
pretty good. And uh, ask him why a guitar player has to have so many damn guitars on stage when he never changes one. Yeah, ask him. I don't know. Ask Brian. Brian knows everything, and we will be back soon. Thank you. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.